welcome, and this is uh, Best Worst Podcast, episode 24, brought to you by the Lumiere Reader, special edition. This is Doug. This is Jacob. And uh, we, amongst other things, have been writing for the Lumiere Reader, and we normally kick off with a, uh, with a chunk of our... Uh, and, what, and what scotch are we drinking this week? Uh, well, we've got different scotches this week. Mine is English breakfast. <laughs> yeah, mine, mine's a bit of a chamomile. Um, this, <laughs> this is a sort of... Uh, the, the podcasts haven't been coming fast and furious because I'm down in Wellington. But uh, I'm up in Auckland this weekend because uh, my film debuted yesterday. Yeah, uh, yeah. Which uh, is called Jake. Jake. Uh, no relation <laughs> to my co-host. And uh, yeah, so we had a... Great premiere last night. Yeah, it was good fun. Good now fun. Recovering. Yes, yeah, it's the morning after record, um, so the scotch has gone by the bar and we're on tea. Yeah, but um, we're not here to talk about my film because heaps of other people have done that. Um, we're here to talk about the film festival. Yes, very How exciting. selfless is that? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's. Um, I mean, I actually arrived on Monday to make sure that I was here in Auckland for the film festival launch because, and also to you know do publicity and stuff. But um, I figured that was well timed. It was a great launch this year. Oh yeah, program launch uh, as usual. Well, it's been for the last couple of years at least at the Rialto Cinemas, and as has been the sort of the flavor of the last couple of years we've had a choice of films to see and this year there were three there was Locke which yeah, I'll speak to that yeah. um, and I saw a documentary from the strange section called Kung Fu Elliot uh, which I'll talk about. And do you remember the third was uh, Lucas Moodison's We Are the oh, Best. Oh, that's right, which, uh, that's right. Yeah, and all three of those were really tempting to me. In mm. the end, uh, my girlfriend was going to lock, and uh, I decided I'd go see it with her and uh, spend some money to see uh, Kung Fu Elliot in the um, festival. But uh, yeah, lock is basically been billed as Tom Hardy in a car for 100 minutes, and in point of fact, is Tom Hardy in a car for 100 minutes. That's He's, a lot of Tom Hardy. It's a lot of Tom Hardy. But, you know, Tom Hardy's one of those guys that... I somehow just keep underrating, and like every time, like I see him in something, he's like, "Oh yeah, he's great." And then the next time, comes like, oh, "I don't know." And um, he just in three minutes, whatever you see him, and he just disappears into the part. And here he's a um, he's a foreman, um, or the the exact job title isn't, but he has a key role in construction. Oh yeah, and he is supposed to be doing some work tomorrow morning, and he's supposed to be with his uh, family watching a soccer game, and uh, he's not doing any of that. He's driving somewhere. I won't reveal where, but as he's driving, he's talking on the phone, and so the whole film is just him in the car, driving, trying to put his life into order. And it's a very theatrical conceit, apart from the off-screen voices that he's talking to on the phone. Oh, yeah. It could just be, you know, one man on stage. And it sounds a little bit like phone booth in a car like the conceit uh, anyway probably not the story yeah I mean with phone booth you know there's this sort of suspensey kind of thing and there's no um, all the stakes in this are very personal you know yeah. it's it's about a you're just watching somebody's life fall apart in real time basically wow who's, who's desperately trying to keep it together and there's no there's no real um, amped up suspense or kind of like you know near misses with people driving into him or whatever it's just this endlessly compelling performance in script that is maybe a bit theatrical for some people and there's a there's a conceit where he speaks to somebody who's not in the car uh with the phone off that's kind of a feels like a bit of a theatrical soliloquy kind of thing that maybe was the only off note but all credit and um i think the director's name is stephen knight uh, writer and director, if but I remember correctly. Anyone we know? Uh, not that I know of, but he did a fantastic job of um, keeping the visuals moving and and making it not get too samey, along with the help of 
How new? The performance. <laughs> uh, you just have to see it, and just yeah, I, it 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 sustains, it compels, and was fantastic. Oh, excellent! And how about Kung Fu Elliot? I've heard um, lots of oh my god kind of reactions yeah. about this. Kung Fu Elliot, another another choice uh, documentary pick from Ant. Uh, he's, he gets a few really interesting ones in in the, in the strange section. Yeah, well, over the years, there's been quite a few. Like I think TV Junkie comes to mind. Yeah, and you're gonna miss me. Dear Zachary. Yeah. Um, the ones I was thinking of with those specifically are kind of this um, very car crash kind yeah, of yeah. Uh, element to them of watching man. somebody's was life it? falling apart. Oh, Winnebago Man, yeah, yeah. exactly. Yeah, uh, well, I wasn't quite sure. Going in, you thought Come For Elliot looked a bit like like a car crash kind of thing. It looked like American movie, sort of a bit at a distance. Yeah, yeah a little bit. Um, it's it, it does have that kind of car crash element, for sure. Uh, but then it, it it has kind of a twist that I, I certainly wasn't expecting. I hadn't sort of looked much at it at all. So the basic premise is there's this guy, Elliot, who's a Canadian martial artist who decides that he wants to be the world's next Jean-Claude Van Damme, but Canada's answer to Jean-Claude Van Damme, basically, who takes his martial arts skills and applies them to the screen in low-budget action films. But he's doing everything himself. He's Talk about shoestring. This is like super shoestring. He hasn't got proper cameras. He's certainly not um, casting for actors. Yeah. Uh, and so his stuff is... It's ridiculous and it's absurd, uh, the fil- films that he's making, but there's a warmth and a charm to them at, at start, and he seems to be sort of making a go of it because he's out, out at local video stores doing signings and handing out DVD. you know, you're selling DVDs by hand, and he's from Halifax, Nova Scotia, I think, and so it's kind of this whole sort of small region, small town kind of place. Right feel to it and the feel of there's not much going on here and if somebody wants to do something they really just have to get off and grassroots do it kind of thing and so it kind of has this feel of this slightly delusioned like getting trying to get his um his art out there and, and do something and then it goes somewhere completely different um <laughs> which is fantastic well let's not spoil that because no, no. i'm i'm very much looking forward to yeah. this then and those left turns always yeah. appeal to me but it's, it's very much like that whole sort of sense of a slightly embarrassing look at someone and a delusion that you're laughing at at the same time, thinking, what kind of voyeur am I to be laughing at this guy? Yeah, but it's just fascinating, the people he comes across and him. And I had, I mean, you've got to wonder how much the documentary maker knew when they went into it. What they were getting themselves yeah, into. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Yeah, it's always a question with that when you're yeah, uh, yeah. assembling things after the fact you don't know, and... Uh, it can always feel like a bit of a violation if you... Yeah. Like, I remember that. We talked about the house we live in, haven't we? Which, yeah, uh, yeah. Where it's just like, oh, I just thought I might learn something about this drug war because it didn't seem quite right. Yeah. So I asked my good friend David Simon if he had any opinions yeah, on yeah. it. The guy who wrote Five Seasons of the Wire. Yeah, yeah, he might be opinionated. But yeah, so it's pretty cool. And there's a couple of very small interactions with the filmmaker, which is uh-huh. kind of not the style of the documentary, but uh, yeah, just they have crazy interesting little bits. Yeah. Cool, yeah. and that's of course you know, those. Th- and we are the best has also gotten some terrific advance notice. Um, that's just the tip of the iceberg, and we've got we've got this booklet in front of us, which on the left has about 120 films or however many are playing this year, and on the right we've got our notebook where um, we've tried to distill it down to the um, top ten, not even top ten, but maybe the ten that we most want to talk about. I mean, we yeah. in our can preview we mentioned some titles like The Tale of Princess Kaguya and yeah. Leviathan, which I know that both of us are really looking yeah, forward to. Yeah, I think we brought up my Dan. Yeah, and Winter Sleep and uh, yeah. Cronenberg's Maps to the Stars. I mean, there's a huge number of films that are worth seeing, and I, for me at least, I've picked some that might not immediately jump off the page or might not completely sell themselves to an audience that would really work for them, so... 
why don't we start by talking about some Cannes films? I yeah, know that um, one of your most anticipated films is by... Uh, yeah, so by, uh, by your favourite filmmakers, no? Um, uh, no, you didn't pick the Loach one, so that's fine. Yeah. <laughs> the, the, um, the Dardens have a new film coming out at Fest um, that was at Cannes, and uh, it's been getting good reports out of Cannes, um, which is, you know, unsurprising, but at the same time, their um, last film, Kid With A Bike, I found a little surprising in the way that they kind of took a slightly different tone, I guess, and feel to their usual fare. And so they're working in the same area, but, you know, they did a few different things. So this one's got um, Two Days, One Night has got Marianne Cotillard, and um, and I think the main guy might be someone they've worked with as well, but I'm not sure. Fabrizio Rongioni, I don't know, I'm not sure. Yeah, his yes. face looks familiar <laughs> anyway, but, yeah. I'm guessing it's going to be pretty typical Dardenne. Which do you know the from, story? No, no, I don't know. I do know the story. All. So basically, she's she's an employee at a company, and they've her role's about to be downsized, and oh, the yeah. only way that they can that she can avoid that is to get the 12 other people at the company all to agree not to fire her, so she has to go around to each one of them and plea her case, and oh, so yeah. and she's got the titular time period to, oh, right, to uh, do that, and yeah, so that's, case, yeah. Yeah, that's, that's the premise of it, so it's Oh, that's a pretty pretty Dardenne sort of... Yeah, yeah. It, it, it's, yeah, go, very much the, um, you know, like as with, you know, Rosetta's you know, yeah. female protagonist who's got the odds stacked against her, and, and this is maybe a more working-class... Yeah, kind of thing. It, I don't know exactly where... It makes where me think a little bit of Lawn of Silence, kind of. Uh, that's one I haven't oh, seen. Oh, okay, yeah. It, it's interesting. They've actually had a film every three years at Cannes, like Clockwork. Yeah. Like, they, they're some of the most reliable filmmakers in terms of... They do their thing. They've got their life cycle, and they yeah. keep going. And they've have you ever watched it. any interviews with them? No, I haven't. Have you? Yeah, yeah. I mean, obviously in French with subtitles, but there's a couple. Like, there was one really good one that they did. It was it might have been after after the child, maybe. But they talked a lot about the sun and 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 right. and their working style and the themes that they were looking at. It was very interesting. I did I did uh, look at some of the bonus features on Rosetta, and one of the things that comes out is, for instance, their attention to sound. And yeah, I, I've been hit up for this a couple times, and that I kind of. Like, oh, it's just, you know, kitchen sink off the uh, thing. But even though they use sort of the tropes of, you know, handheld mm. cinema and stuff like that, they're actually, there's a lot of careful attention mm. to sound and things like that to really build their worlds in what may seem like a naturalistic way, but isn't quite. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Cool. Cool. Um, what's your one? Jean-Luc Godard showed up on uh, oh, yeah, with yeah. Goodbye to Language, his um, 3D, 73-minute uh, uh, miniature masterpiece. And... The reactions were just off the charts. I mean, people compare some of the things that he's done with 3D in this movie as to be as groundbreaking as the jazz singer was oh, wow. in terms of advancing form. And mm. Godard's somebody um, that a lot of people don't have time for his later day stuff. I, I loved our music, uh, and I we haven't had uh, film socialism here, nice. so I haven't got to see that. Um, there'll, there'll definitely be some people spouting aphorisms that are a bit silly. There'll be times that we should have pause, but to have somebody who's, you know, in their eighties and been revolutionizing film since 1960 mm. to just say like, you know what, I'm going to shoot 3d on flip cams and <laughs> I'm going to make something with this technology that nobody else is trying to do. And from all accounts, just you know, a whole audience just being like, I've never visually experienced that in my life. And at a time mm. when there's so many blockbusters that are just sh trying to give you that feeling yeah. and, and end up just showing a bunch of energy blobs destroying a bunch of grey brick yeah. um, that's super exciting to me so that's yeah, uh, a, I, I can't miss I guess it's um, like it's one of those films that I um, I hope I'll get a chance to see but I'm not I'm not sure if, it, yeah. if I'm going to be able to schedule it but it has a real sense of just the wonder of cinema 
to it. Kind of arching away from the whole cinema has to be film and it has to be this, that and the other thing uh, to see like someone that you consider like a, a revolutionary but like yeah. an old master revolutionary kind of thing yeah. pushing the bounds on new cinema uh, technologies and stuff Th- there's a and quote, doing it yeah, with, an yeah. interesting, with, with a love and heart for cinema. And just the bits yeah. of cinema he cares about, there's mm. already somebody's quoted the film and a thing he says in the film like I don't care about characters and so it's like <laughs> it's, it's interesting when you get these old filmmakers and I was thinking about this with uh, seeing Brian De Palma's Passion which I didn't like very much yeah. but the older that some filmmakers get I think the less they care about audience and they mm. just care about what's interesting to them yeah. it's, it's similar to almost the audience and difference you have in a really incompetent film yeah. except that they just don't you know when they're making Troll 2 or something they just don't maybe get it or the room <laughs> whereas with this it's like it's just a, a lack of interest in yeah. working yeah. for that audience another film that I think I played on a sidebar at Cannes but is also probably for people who want their masterpieces difficult and challenging yeah. and uh, and uh, conversely a very long sit uh, is uh, Alexei German's final film the three hour length Hard to Be a God yeah. uh, which I've been buzzing about for over a year now yeah I remember you talking um, about it yeah he's adapted a novel by the Sh- I think it's called Strugovsky Brothers who are most famous for writing the novel that Stalker is based on which is oh, called Roadside yeah. Picnic yep. and uh, some of our listeners will have seen a film called Visitor at a Museum yeah. or The Museum Visitor, yeah. which has a certain degree of notoriety amongst yeah. uh, <laughs> some incredibly strange folk in Auckland for reasons I don't think we can talk about. Uh, you know. um, but uh, it's described as a medieval black and white sci-fi epic. And um, the clips I've seen from it, it's sort of combined this Belatar sort of long take yeah. beauty with this really overflowing earthy kind of you know bodies and images and yeah. then like this kind of I don't quite understand what the whole conceit of it is and I've been deliberately avoiding that. I'm a little wary because last year my most anticipated film was Leviathan and I was really a bit disappointed by that. The previous year it was um the of the year it was the master and I was a bit disappointed. And the previous year was the tree of life and I was disappointed. So I'm trying not to make it my most anticipated film of the year, but it is. So, but I, I think it's one. It's it's going to be like nothing else at the festival. Yeah. It's going to be unforgettable. And there's some clips online, and you can look at them, and you'll either go in 30 seconds. This is so not for me, or this could be for me, but I'm not sure I can sit through three hours of it. But you won't get another chance, that's for sure. And it's it looks like a, and again something that's such a big screen experience in yeah. terms of the lavishness and it's I think the, the the common thing between stalker and museum visitor and this is just sort of this kind of existential, existential yeah. dark to you know yeah. very very Russian you'll be yeah. there right you oh yeah Russian yeah cinema. for sure and it, yeah. I think it's good to note as well that I think this uh, had to be a god is the film this year that's being sponsored by Lumia Reed that's correct yeah. yeah which is great that they slash yeah we kind of but mostly they have uh, gone to bat for that because um it's really important to get yeah, stuff look, that otherwise yeah, wouldn't be the big screen that, yeah you know you're not going to get a chance to see otherwise yeah museum hours was the one last, last year, year which, which uh, was fantastic so, yeah, yeah you can kind of get a sense of what that uh imprimatur stands for but i think your choices makes mine look like uh, uh, yeah. yeah and i have to say i had no idea the length of this film and i balked a little bit when i thought about scheduling it and going what two films am I going to have to miss to see this one? Or three films? You're getting two films for the price of one. <laughs> or three if you count the goodbye. The okay, so what I'm talking about is um, Frederick Wiseman's uh, documentary. Uh, I think he's he's got two at festival this year? Yeah, he has yeah. one called the Nas- uh, National, National Gallery. Gallery yeah. yeah, And I think this was the one prior to that. It's yep. called At Berkeley. Uh, and it's 
got good press from overseas. And I, I'm not a big Frederick Wiseman follower, but I've seen bits and pieces of his stuff. And he has done, uh, I think it's just a little over four-hour epic uh, looking at the Berkeley campus of um, the University of California, I think, which is, you know, if you're interested in academic institutions, which I am, I work at one, uh, the history of a place like Berkeley, which is, you know, in San Francisco, has um, a great history of um, of academics and revolutionaries and, and, and you know, people uh, are really highly... Um, developed creative scene and writing and literature lots of people came out of that scene thinking of people like Philip K. Dick and, and, and those kind of guys writers that are highly influ- influential on um, writing now but also film now um, came yeah. out of that scene so I'm really keen to see that institution sort of dug into it'll be interesting because I mean I've seen a few Wiseman films uh, La Dance and Boxing Gym and Crazy Horse are ones that have played at the fest in previous yeah. years that I made and because of his style which is just is completely observational there's no there's never any context given mm. there's no voiceover there's no interviews that are done for exposition I mean in Crazy Horse he sometimes shot other people shooting an interview and so mm. you get things that way so it's there's there's always this element of just observing mm. the process, and I'll be interested to see if it actually ha- winds up containing that historical scaffolding, or if it's just um, alluded to in the background of that history. I suspect the latter. Yeah, but yeah, yeah. But it is, as you know, a um, famous institution, mm. and um, I think, from what I understand, also it foc- this focuses a lot on labor issues as oh, yeah. well, because I think there's a lot of questions that were floating around the campus at the time on that front. Yeah, well, I mean, I know University of Auckland um, is going through lots of restructuring because of financial situations, you know. Yeah, and I think there's always a tension in universities between the business side and the ideals of academia, and uh, that's uh, always a uh, big fight. The next film on your list is also pretty... Yeah, pretty long, and again, I I think this is not quite three hours. The film that kind of got a bit of a spark up um, from Richard Linklater, uh, Boyhood, which is... Did that launch at Sundance, or was it South by Southwest? I think it was Sundance, yeah. Yeah, it was was another one of those kind of last-minute editions, and um, this is a film that, uh, if you haven't heard of it, uh, has been a long time germinating. (laughs) It was shot um, it's, it's about about a particular boy who and, and shows his life sort of growing up. But the the key kind of point of difference, I guess, is that he's been shooting it in, in small installments over the space of twenty years. I think sixteen years. Sixteen years. Yeah. yeah. So when the kid started, he was like six, I think, or something like that. Um, and then he's sort of filmed him throughout yeah. that period, and so you know, had had an agreement with his parents and him, which could have fallen apart at any yeah, minute. Yeah. yeah. And so it's it's a crazy kind of setup and and concept. But the whole idea of watching someone grow on screen, it's like super slow-mo time-lapse yeah. to a degree. Six years old when shooting began in 2002 and 18 at yeah. the end of the film. Yeah. So t- over 12 years, yes, which yeah. still, yeah, I mean, I remember hearing about this early on, that he was making this crazy film that he was shooting five minutes of yeah, I remember every year for 16 years. And, you know, and it was just like, okay, well, we'll never see that. And now it's like, oh, yeah, that's finally, you know. Yeah, and, yeah. Uh, yeah I mean, and Linklater is such a um, fascinating filmmaker. Yeah. He just, he manages to maintain a productivity over um, a variety of genres and interests mm. and keeps going forward. And it just really seems to live for filmmaking mm. as a process. And as you've mentioned, the response to this one's been ecstatic. Yeah, and, and so I'm, I'm really looking forward to that. And that, even just the whole idea of, you know, all of the references to 
time and situation are going to be, you know, it's going to be real stuff. You don't have to kind of get props that hark back five, six, seven years, like thinking about technology changes and things like that. I mean, yeah. All that stuff's quite interesting. Yeah. Yeah. It's, uh, yeah, it's a- actually seeing that stuff change in real time in yeah. the front of you mm. um, and in a way that you would never see in a movie because you wouldn't yeah. get like seven different phones over the course of the movie yeah, for yeah. a character or whatever. So my film's kind of a kid's film as well. (laughs) Um, um, There's an Australian film by, uh, I think, first-time director Jennifer Kent called The Babadook, which I definitely want to flag up for people who only turn to the back of the book and don't notice that sometimes interesting genre stuff uh, is not just just in the incredibly strange section, which, of course, will get to doing their due diligence there shortly. Which section um, is this one? Is it in this Fresh? Is, this, this is in Fresh. Yeah. Um, and this also premiered at Sundance, actually. And it's just about a mother who has a child who's having a tough time and has a kid's book in it, which has an imaginary character in it. And it's a horror film. And mm. you can probably connect the dots as yeah. to where things are going. And it's it's been just widely heralded yeah, as, yeah, a, as a really list. strong you know, first time low budget shocker that um, I don't think is too terribly graphic. In fact, it's an M, but is just relentlessly scary and effective. So mm. I'm, I'm always up for a good, you know, yeah, on screen yeah. shocker. And uh, yeah. Yeah. And it, sounds, yeah, it does sound like one of the more the sort of old school psychological skiers, which I kind of like and don't like. <laughs> <laughs> love to, love to hate. Love yeah, to, yeah. 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 I do. I do struggle with them. Um, you know, the, the older I get, the more I'm like, oh, do I really want to put myself through an endurance test? But it sounds like, by all counts, this one's worth it yeah. and, um, and is a, a good sterling horror. So what we got next? We've got, oh, we've got, uh, so, so we've both kind of had, I think, a couple left-field picks yeah. that neither of us necessarily hadn't seen anything by the director or yeah. knew that much about. Mine was um, a director named Ruben Ostlund, who um, his previous film called Play snuck into Wellington, but not Auckland, last, a couple years back. And uh, I missed it. And uh, oh, yeah. he had a film in Cannes this year in one of the sidebars called Force Majeure. Ah, and yes. uh, it kind of showed up without any hype. And yeah. suddenly everybody saw it and they're like, holy crap, this is great. You know, yeah, yeah. and uh, it's, it sounds like definitely a filmmaker who's been, you know, working a while and then gone to the <coughs> next level. It's set at a, um, I think it's set at a um, skiing resort where they have a controlled avalanche plan that's supposed to happen. And so this avalanche and the story of this family that's falling apart in real time Mm. are kind of, I don't mean real time as in 90 minutes, but concurrently Mm. are portrayed together. And, you know, he's been compared to Haneke in some ways, Mm. but maybe with a bit more of a sense of humor. And I really love that sort of tonal area where it can be quite removed and you don't know whether to laugh or squirm or whatever. And... um, and this strong character drama with then kind of this also larger than life, mm. you know, it's, it's not just six actors in a room. There's a giant mountain yeah, out yeah. there with an avalanche. Um, so really, yeah, I, I'm not going to learn anything more about it than that. And I'm really looking forward to it. Um, and I might be very surprised by my description of it when I come yeah, out yeah, and say, yeah. Oh, that's not what I think, but yeah, I did. I did have a, when I read the, did you read the synopsis in the thing? Uh, or you dodged that. I, I just briefly read that synopsis. Now I, I've kind of only had a 
chance to sort of scan the book. Um, So some of the less familiar titles are ones... Like this film you're about to talk about did not have a title that sounded remotely promising to me. Yeah. Would you like to share that? Yeah, um, this one just jumped out at me from reading, which is interesting, like you say, so often we get pre-information nowadays about films that are coming. We hear critics out of the the Europe, out of um, the States, talking about these films that they've had a chance to see that have just come out at the latest fest at Cardinal wherever. And so it's very difficult to get anything that you haven't sort of come across in the book and so it's really nice to read something and go what the hell is this yeah yeah and so this is one of those it's a little film as you say unpromisingly titled of horses and men which reminds me of of gods and men which is quite maybe that's yeah Yeah. but it's um an icelandic film from 2013 by a director and the screenplay written by a guy named benedict erlingson i've never heard of know nothing about but what the what it appears to be is um a vignette kind of film about but dramatised, not documentary, uh, kind of tales told about right. horses and people, horses and men, and little tales. So just like six little short stories or yeah, something? Yeah, something like that. That's um, interesting, because Wild Tales, also, which is, yeah. I think, the closing night film, and which was a hit at Cannes, also yeah. has a similar structure, structure six short yeah. films put There's together. There's a few kind of animal ones in there as well. But Yeah, but so this is... And, and the the picture is so odd looking <laughs> in the booklet it shows a, a man a on a horse yeah, a man on a horse which has another horse kind of slung over the back and, <laughs> and we don't him, see what's him, happening off and, camera and he's got a very odd looking face <laughs> the facial expression yeah I don't know it just I'm not particularly into horses but this thing something about this fascinates me what the right. hell is the story about lots of horses and men people <laughs> and tails and how do they get a whole thing about it and it's Icelandic yeah okay I, maybe it's I mean. just an Icelandic yeah but. Whatever, whatever sells for you, and I am slightly yeah. curious. But uh, also, yeah. it's eighty-one minutes, which um, <laughs> so many of the films that I've got on my list this year are so ridiculously long. There are long. quite a few epics this yeah, year, yeah. so uh, which is good. But it's not like last year where Norte was kind of out there by itself, yeah, yeah. Being all lonely. And, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there's quite a few. However, there's also quite a few more. Uh, normally timed films yep. and in a section where, where that may be the only normal thing about them the yeah, incredibly strange, strange section yeah 10 films programmed by Ant Timpson every year always um, some things to surprise always yeah. some favorites always something that will offend those with delicate constitutions yeah. um, we could probably talk the whole time just about that program yeah, but yeah. Uh, what's your uh, what's your pick of that program this year well I, there's a few good ones in there but uh, the one that I want to talk about is one that's kind of got a lot of press I guess um, it's Jodorowsky's June yeah. which is a documentary about the film that that never was that ridiculously spiraled out um, he had plans to pay ridiculous amounts of money to get um, Salvador Dali involved. I think was that, that was the artist, wasn't it? I think. Pretty, yep, yeah, yeah. Um, I think Giger as well. Yeah, who yeah. recently passed away, Char Giger, yeah. who did the Alien, An Alien, yeah. yeah, design and what have you. Yeah, so it's a documentary about June, which is a book and a film that I love. See, one of the, probably the, so you of, love the Lynch film. Yes. Okay. But lots of people hate it. It was like one of the first films that I probably the first film that I saw that was not kind of non-standard. And I saw it as a 12-year-old boy, um, and then I got it on VHS, and I watched it over and over again. <laughs> it's, it remains to this day the film that I've seen the most in my life. And right, I've, wow. I've got uh, the DVD with three different versions of it, or, or um, yeah. <laughs> oh, does, it, yeah. does it have, like, the Lynch director's cut or whatever? Is uh, that a thing? I don't even... Uh, I'm not much of a Dune uh, historian. Uh, yeah. There's the extended version, which he, Alan Smithied, actually, because um, oh, okay. it's really awful with, like, cardboard cutouts at the front of narration over the top of it. <laughs> Whoa! And uh, and then there's his version, which was um, significantly cut down um, from a much longer version. So yeah, no, they never put out a, a definitive David Lynch version. Yeah, so 
the story I love and find interesting the Frank Herbert book, and I'm just really interesting to see what um, interested to see what Jodorowsky's kind of experience to bring this really bizarre version of it because Dune is a, not unlike Lord of the Rings is like this massive fantasy epic with um, whole worlds and religious systems and things designed around it and referred to in passing in some places and, and yeah and so it's such an epic um, creation that I'm just really interested to see what Jodorowsky would make of that yeah. and, and then the car crash of it falling apart because you know who's going to fund that <laughs> yeah that minor detail that yeah. uh, has uh, derailed so many movies in our past I, there's another movie that um, we'll talk about later that's one of my two films that I just jumped up and down when I saw but um, the other one is uh, Borgman which is a Dutch film to give you a sense of it it's been compared to Michael Haneke it's been oh, compared yeah. to a uh, bit more surreal uh, filmmakers. I think Dogtooth has oh, yeah, come up yeah. as a comparison. It's basically about a couple that has this strange person come into their house and that stalks them. And it's um, yeah, it just it just seems like one of these films that I quite love that sort of fits in between genres where there's class commentary, there's a thriller element, there's an, a, a weird unpredictability that keeps it from being too much of a standard thriller. Uh, Draft House Films in the States has picked it up. Who yeah, I saw pretty... them doing lots of promo for it recently. Yeah, yeah, and so it was in the main selection at Cannes as well. Oh, really? So, yeah, um, in 2013. Uh, so it's taken a little while to get here. I think because, I don't know, I, as somebody who made a film that sort of falls between genres, it sounds like a film that kind of falls between mm. genres, and so that really excites and resonates with me, and that's... That's going to be that's one of the building blocks of my yeah. schedule at the moment. Oh, cool! Fitting, yeah. fitting that in. Well, no it's great what. to see like um, films that fit in the strange section because there are so many that are you know like are just either really bizarre or shocker kind of films, but the artistry on them is not necessarily that great. Yeah, um, and sometimes it is, but but it's nice to see films that you know that are kind of have some robust filmmaking and and some rigor applied to them, but still kind of explore some genre. Yeah, well, like Blue Ruin last yeah. year, I think, was a great example of a film that got overlooked by a lot of people, but that had a really strong aesthetic approach mm. and was really well-crafted and was really unpredictable. And I think the more I look at something in the incredibly strange section, I'm like, huh, I wonder why that's there, the more I'm likely to go mm. check it out. Conversely, there's a film that Mr. Timpson couldn't program for the incredibly yeah. strange <laughs> section as he announced at the premiere because... Uh, it was apparently um, too coveted by the uh, by the main selection, and so uh, Housebound will be premiering in New Zealand. I think it's already played it's, South by Southwest, oh, yeah. so it's yes. not it's the domestic premiere. And it's, it's um, only got one showing, hasn't it? In uh, Auckland, it only has it's one, one showing. showing. Yeah. Um, I'll be seeing most of the festival in Wellington, Wellington this yeah. year, so I'm not sure what's going on down there. But uh, yeah, it's the directorial debut of. Uh, Gerard Johnstone, who did a series called The Jackie Brown Diaries, oh, yeah, yeah. Uh, most famously, and has been so taking along... So it's got a humorous bent? Uh, yeah, it, well, it's it's about a woman who's on home detention. Uh, Morgana O'Reilly, I think, is the actress, oh, yeah. and, and, sh- and is apparently hilariously bitchy and upset about it all, and uh, then it ter- and is complaining about uh, the house that she's in, and then like suspects that oh maybe it's haunted <laughs> and so it's 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 sort of a haunted house comedy it sounds like but then it's also like apparently i was talking to producer luke sharp at the uh, premiere who um he and i have worked on projects before and about a year or two ago um housebound has been shooting since shot in 2010 and then or got funded in 2010 and it's had a lot of moments and reshoots and you know these films are a long process and you get to a certain point and if you find somebody else who's gone through the same thing you just kind of have this deep breath of like 
<sighs> but you know they've come out the other side with amazing results. You know they they premiered at South by Southwest. I think they have American distribution. Wow. Um, and has been impre- involved as a, some kind of producer or yeah. something. Um, and it's uh, it just by all accounts. I mean I have absolute faith in Gerard's talent from yeah. Jackie Brown and his precision, and have no doubt that this is going to be one of the films that if people miss, they'll hear about later and i think because gerard comes from as much of a comedy background maybe more than a horror background yeah that um it's going to speak as much to somebody who'd like a funny film with a strong female character that happens to have some horror elements yeah as opposed to being a horror film yeah you know so uh that's one of i'll talk speak about another kiwi film later but that's one of the two kiwi films i'm really excited about oh excellent yeah yeah um, that's looking pretty exciting to me as well. It's great to yeah. see uh, a Kiwi film do really well and, and, and get some traction overseas, you know. Yeah. It's a hard thing to, to happen. So, I know. <laughs> yeah, yeah. From me, I've got a little film um, that's in the world section called Land Ho, which people may or may not know, but um, if you know the name Aaron Katz... I do. Um, Cold Weather? Cold Weather, yeah. Um, so Cold Weather played uh, World Cinema Showcase, I think, uh, a few years few um, years back yeah and he's a for want of a better term mumblecore director who um, does sort of naturalistic snow moving observational kind of um, pieces um, yeah although although having said that cold, with cold weather with had a bit of a Sherlock Holmes thing yeah yeah and, and, so I think and he's he playing with it, to, it a bit more applies than, it to yeah. genre kind yeah. of thing uh, yeah applies it to some genre pieces but they move at like at a at a pace that you wouldn't expect which <laughs> some people would be a real turn off but for me I actually really enjoy you know I, it's something I noticed there's no slow cinema section this year oh uh, yeah yeah I, I don't know why that is yeah um, they, sure they, maybe, they, maybe, maybe they've just put those films elsewhere so that people can stumble on them like landmines yeah, yeah. <laughs> or, uh, <something. laughs> uh, exciting. <laughs> um, yeah, so this one um, is a story about two uh, seven-year-old uh, retirees, I think, who um, a story of friendship and kind of hanging out in, the, in their retirement. And I guess it covers them talking and, and doing what they do. Um, I really, really like, like Cold Weather, and it kind of came out of left field a little bit. And I was just really interested when I heard about this quite some time back. And I watched um, an interview with the director out of South by Southwest, I think. Yeah. Um, well, maybe Sundance. Um with cats and with one of the producers and and uh, and saw a little clip from the film and it looked really good so and it's set in Iceland so yeah got, will it have the horses as well <laughs> who knows who knows what's yeah. going to happen in Iceland you know yeah part of the unpredictability <laughs> yeah. I see I see your next one's even on the same page of the uh, yeah yeah document um some of our uh, some of our favorite recurring directors have uh, yeah graced us again this year and I have to say that uh, Kelly Reichert is probably one of my top three working directors I think um, she, her stuff just resonates with me Mixed Cutoff was fantastic yeah. um, Wendy and Lucy uh, these are films that Wendy I'm and just, Lucy is so terrific yeah. it took me ages to get around to it I just recently saw it oh and, cool um, yeah well because uh, I mean I wasn't into dogs for a while and then yeah. I, I, yeah. and when I finally did see it I was into dogs I was like, oh it's so emotional mm. and breaking and such a strong central performance yeah. and yeah and again Meek's cut off what a big screen experience that was yeah she um, she blends a kind of uh, a real small scale storytelling but with great formal cinematography and, and control and yes so much so much such a rigorous approach but with such um lived in performances yeah. and feelings that it doesn't feel 
affected. Yeah, so the, this one, Night Moves, is, it reminded me, because I heard them about them about the same time, but the East came out quite a bit earlier. The East and Night Moves sort of were talked about at uh, yeah, yeah. a similar time, yeah. which were both kind of eco-terrorism films. We had a few of them a little while back, and so these uh, seemed interesting, but Kelly Rockets, by all reports, is... Um, a very her take on it, which is like a very low on the melodramatics and more about the kind of the internal character spaces. Yeah, yeah so it's got Jesse Eisenberg, um, so some sort of names in there, Dakota Fanning, and about these people who are getting involved in some, you know, putting their ideals um, into play in terms of eco-terrorism, you know, trying to trying to make some sort of um, socio-political change, but she'll be drilling into where are these people at, what are their motivations how is what they're doing affecting them all that kind of stuff and she hasn't put a foot wrong as far as i'm concerned so far so yeah i'm very excited to see this it's my must program yeah it's um very high up on the list for me as well mm. anyone who's ever listened to this has heard me talk about hong song su so <laughs> um i don't know that i'm gonna has, has he got another how many films has he got he's only year? got he's only got one this year he's Why been slacking yeah <laughs> <laughs> yeah it's 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 has he got a running bit with takashi miko <laughs> who can make the most films yeah, yeah um Korean auteur Hong Sang-soo, who's just um, makes very simple, beautiful, f- uh, beautiful isn't even the right word, just um, these wryly observational films about feckless men and the women they become obsessed with and the mm. women who generally know more than they do. And, you know, that's very minimalist in a way that he keeps mm. using these same building blocks of cinema and just turning them around over and over. And I've compared them to Woody Allen or Eric Romer or yeah. people like that before, where it's like, if you're not into the, or single malt whiskeys, you know, if you're not into them, they're all kind of the same. But yeah. if you do, you really just enjoy the small differences, yeah. and it's just having that familiar experience over and over again. So uh, I think I've, I think I've managed to gradually accrue a few Hong Song Su fans over the so years. What's the setup um, of this one? Uh, you know, I have no idea. It's I, just Hong Song Su. Yeah, I'll, 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 bet, I'll bet money that there's two or three connected storylines or um, mirrored storylines. Yeah. That there's a male. Uh, in each of them who's a director or a writer yeah. or perhaps oh it's an academia this is totally different <laughs> <laughs> yeah so three men orbiting around an elusive young woman oh yeah so yeah really it is yeah. it is um it's gotten to the point where even if i read some of the plot yeah. summaries of old ones i don't quite remember it's just more of these moments yeah. and, and it just tend, generally like the ones that really persist in memory like women on the beach yeah. for instance is because there will be a a key scene where he taps into something so yeah. specific and odd that kind of uh elevates or turning gates another one that i'm a huge fan of oh, probably a bit like yeah. me in the dardens actually it's like i didn't have to read what the film was about because yeah I know, yeah i know, yeah. I know, I know <laughs> what they're about and but they keep well, that, it for me and it yeah yeah, yeah. It's, it's a it's a hong song su film that's yeah. all i need to know cool man. um Next up, we've got, speaking of repetitions, yeah. we, we've got not one but two doppelganger films yeah, in the fest this I, year. It was odd reading the program. And, yeah. and I must admit, I've heard of The Double. I've been yeah. hearing a bit about that. I've seen the trailer. Um, got very excited. And Richard Ayuadi, yeah, who, um, did, um, who did Submarine. Yeah. Um, was that his debut? That was his feature debut. Yeah, 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 which was fantastic. I really liked it. And, uh, you know, following him online a little bit, he seems like an interesting dude as well. So The Double, Jesse Eisenberg... And he plays a guy that's working in an office thing, finds out that he's got this doppelganger, um, and then they end up kind of working together. It's very odd. And it's based off uh, Dostoevsky work, I think. I'm not sure which one exactly. Looking at the trailer, it has that kind of whole kind of psychological exploration and tension that it's um, 
looking at and it just looks really good i mean I, i'm kind of on and off with the eisenberg i, I like some of his stuff <laughs> like other stuff but ayo adi is, is a great director and this looked like something that he would do really well at yeah well and and these sorts of films are always fun for actors right because um yeah he's it's like you know with dead ringers or yeah. um you know you have an actor who's playing these two opposite roles yeah. and getting to do the two different sides and so um that's a technical challenge, and it's also a performance challenge of yeah. just, you know, having to be able to communicate on screen just by how you carry yourself that I'm yeah. this guy, not that guy. Mm. And it's a challenge that Jake Gyllenhaal has also taken <laughs> yeah. on with Enemy, which is an adaptation of a Jose Saramago novel, who his uh, most called, famous adaptation... I don't in know. English, I'm pretty sure it says in this program that it's called The Double. Oh really? Yeah, oh, that's right. Yeah. Really yeah okay, what the hell? Yeah. <laughs> yeah it's, it's all a bit Edge of Tomorrow, Groundhog Day yeah, at the yeah, moment. Yeah. Um, but and I, then last night we were at your. Uh... Yeah, we're at a film Jake with somebody gets replaced by. An, yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> Which yeah, there's all sorts of uh, parallels. Well, we're disappearing I'm, in some yeah, sort of I'm, I'm glad we're not in a film, yeah, film festival where it's suddenly compared to this. Yeah, Jake Gyllenhaal plays a character who's a bit downtrodden and goes to see a movie and sees what appears to be himself on screen as an actor and then goes and seeks out this person in real life and uh. Uh, and then she's trying to work out like how this doppelganger exists but is so successful when he's not and yeah. uh, again escalation of tensions um, and apparently this film just goes batshit at the end like if you're somebody who just likes films that go off the rails um, it's directed by Denis Villeneuve who oh, did um, yeah, yeah. Prisoners and Ensembles yeah. and both of which are films, Prisoners in particular, is beautifully shot. They're both desperately serious films. Yeah. And films that, uh, to me, at points, become laughable for being so desperate to be serious. <laughs> but there's something really compelling about his filmmaking, despite that. Mm. So the idea of a film where he just lets himself go off the rails is really interesting to me. And I don't know if I'll feel like it goes off the rails on an enjoyable yeah, path yeah. that I want to follow. Or if it just kind of you know, putters into a disappointment, but um, I'm definitely keen to check out. Uh, yeah, well, you've certainly made, it, yeah. made me more interested in it because I kind of saw them and thought, oh, well, okay, but choose one. Yeah. <laughs> well, you can't because, yeah, they're, yeah. they're, and I mean, yeah, and the, and the double from what I've seen, you know, has a really interesting choices in terms of production design, sort of this mm. Brazil 1984 yeah, kind yeah. of feel to it. And um, yeah, so I think they're going to be really distinctive. Yeah, films, and even though they work with a similar Thing, character, yeah. you know, in, in films like The Double, they have this amazing production design. But there's also, um, I think, there's room for this sort of more lo-fi yeah. aesthetic. And um, one film I've been following quite closely, another New Zealand film, oh, is yeah. uh, Jonathan King's Reality. I, was, um, yeah, I've heard a little bit about that, but I don't really know much about it. What's yeah? So uh, Jonathan King is most famous for uh, Black Sheep and Under the Mountain, oh, okay, uh, yeah. uh, which are both bigger budget uh, New Zealand film commission. Yeah funded films and he after having trouble getting other projects off the ground or what have you uh decided to go his own way and has just self-funded this new feature basically it's about uh dimension slipping drug oh. called reality if oh, i understand yeah, yeah, correctly yeah. and that winds up shifting its protagonist across different realities oh, wow. and so the screenplay is by chad taylor who's a new zealand writer who's worked in genre stuff before and oh, cool. he co-produced the film with Jonathan yeah. and so I think what he's done is he's taken something I think along the lines of I know like films like Primer and Pi were kind yeah. of uh, inspirational of mm. of having a really strong idea that doesn't take a lot to visually execute uh, in terms of production requirements yeah, yeah. that you can um, then 
give these actors this interesting challenge of, yeah. you know, how do you communicate which reality you're in at any given time? And I haven't seen the film, so I don't know uh, how it works in reality. In reality, excuse <laughs> my pun. But, you know, the en- enthusiasm and passion about everybody who's involved with it has been infectious, I think, it, which is just part and parcel of, you know, saying, okay, I'm, I'm going to just step away from these big, yeah. cumbersome productions. I'm going to do, you know, my own thing. Cool. And, uh, yeah, so that's... Uh, Making its world premiere actually here. Oh, that's awesome. um, so, it sounds yeah. pretty interesting, eh? Yeah, and I, I think I think it's definitely you know it's tucked away in the Aotearoa section, but again for genre fans. Yeah. Um, well, like you it, said, when yeah. you were describing that, it did make me think of Primer and you know. Kind yeah, of and I, I feel interesting like, kind of cerebral genre films are great. I, well, I like them. Yeah, and and I think I think some people might know you know if you just know Black Sheep, which is sort of a fun crowd yeah. pleaser, and Under the Mountain, which is very much a kids', kids yeah. film. You might think, oh, oh is how serious is going be but um jonathan's also done a lot of work in graphic novel and in cartooning and does some really interesting stuff exploring alternate realities and surrealism there and um i think that this is a chance for him to work with a lot of material that he's interested in that hasn't come to the fore speaking of filmmakers who are showing a um different side of themselves yeah um, well um talk about one of your favorites yeah this is uh, highly anticipated by me and I'm, I'm super excited that um ant picked it up for the strange section is david robert mitchell's it follows now um so, some of you uh, may recognize that name or might recognize me talking about it um, <laughs> he had a late pickup for i think the 2010 festival which was called the myth of the american sleepover which yep. was lo-fi coming-of-age sort of drama set over a weekend of a bunch of kids before they go back to sort of middle school I think um, something like yeah that. yeah it was this really quietly naturalistic yeah, film yeah. and very very um, sort of soft and tender and it didn't yeah. it didn't totally resonate with me but yeah. it was one of those films that was like well there's not there was nothing per se wrong with it and it was interesting to see what would do next I would I, I don't think I'd be rushing to the doors if yeah, it yeah. was myth of the American sleepover too but yeah this is a huge left turn. Yeah, yeah. Well, so he had another project in, in on the ball that that was kind of part way, sort of there, but then sort of you know struck some problems as projects do. And then next thing I hear, it follows is um, jumping out of left field. Everyone, and I think it won an award in Critics Week at Cannes or something. Uh, yeah, it picked up something at. Um, yeah, it's the, it, it certainly got it certainly got huge notice. Yeah, and um, out of nowhere. So it's a kind of a teen horror film set in a kind of house, but you know, completely left field. And he does some interesting blending of genres. So it's not completely devoid of. I, I hear. Well, I'm not 100 sure of like some coming of age elements and and you know looking at, at the way yeah. that he kind of looks at youth and how they deal with each other. Yeah. So I was excited about any his next project, and this um, sounds fantastic, and it's getting great raves from such people as Mike D'Angelo. Yeah. And, yeah, I'm really excited to see what, what he's done with it. Yeah, same here. The um, the notion of ro- roping this high concept into a naturalist setting and yeah. capturing the human side of a horror conceit yeah. uh, is something that will always be resonant to me. Mm-hmm. And by all accounts, he's nailed it. So yeah. let's, let's get it on the big screen. So going from lo-fi to hi-fi... Yeah. <laughs> one of the uh, biggest uh, genre films of the year that, and um, I know it's on your list, but I could speak to it a little bit as well since I've actually uh, seen it. Is uh, Bong Joon Ho's uh, Snowpiercer? Oh, would you catch it? I caught a. I'll be reviewing it for Lumiere. Actually, oh, yeah, cool. I um, the I saw a screening of it in Wellington, where, oh, which yeah. was for the ratings board, and oh, so. Yeah. We may suddenly go to test tone for a little bit here yeah. <laughs> if we turn yeah. out to be embargoed, yeah. Yeah. but it has come out in the states to largely great reviews. It's um, well, I'll, I'll let you speak to um, maybe Bong Joon Ho in general, since I assume that's a part of why you're excited. Is uh, yeah, well, I mean, there was 
I'm, I remember around about a couple of years ago where there was a little article about some well-known Asian directors who were coming to the States and doing their first kind of English language film projects and so Boon Jong Ho was one of those obviously yeah. we had um, Park Chan um, Park, Chan Chan Park, Park uh, yeah with yeah, Stoker Chan with Stoker yeah, so I was just really interested to see how these guys would go. I have pretty much kept out of what this is, this is about. There's a big train. Yeah, so so basically Snowpiercer is based on a French graphic novel. Oh, yeah. Uh, and the world's frozen, and the only people alive are on this train that's going around this track, mm. and it goes around the track once a year around the entire world. And um, it's, as, as avalanches keep going, the train's designed to pierce yeah. through the snow, hence oh, right. the name. Yeah. And the rich people are at the front, and the poor the people, people are at the, the back, back. Oh, yeah. and the film chronicles uh, a revolution as the poor people try to rise up to the front, yeah. which sounds very simplistic, and there's even points during the film where I thought, oh, maybe this is a little simplistic, even though, I mean, all the way through with Bong, you know, the style is always mm, yeah. incredible, but by the time you get to the end, uh, without trying to spoil anything, as always, not everything is as it appears, mm. and so much of the um, emotional freight is deferred to later. Um, there's a standout set piece. It's not a you 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 almost want to call it a set piece, but ninety percent of the way in, you've had all these amazing mm. scenes, and the key emotional moment of the film is a four minute Chris Evans monologue to Song Kang Ho. <laughs> that suddenly all these things that kind of seemed a bit thrown aside as screenwriter bullshit yeah. um, all the way through, you find out what they're about, mm. and it's like. Oh, well, uh, yeah, uh, <laughs> mm. uh, yeah, and I, um, yeah, I, I was really impressed by it. It may, for me, not be quite as strong as Memories of Murder, Mother, and the Host, only yeah. insofar as those are three fantastic. fantastic films, I mean, yeah. Bong Joon Ho is you yeah. said one of your three filmmakers. He's yeah. he is one of my three filmmakers, and and what this film maybe lacks in terms of uniqueness to his voice. Yeah it gains in just terms of overarching ambition yeah. and and just yeah i mean it's on such a more mammoth scale than anything he's done yeah. he masters working with english speaking cast he manages to manage a lot of the um difficulties of converting a comic book tone oh, yeah. to screen effectively there's some moments that may feel larger than life for some people it, it's it's a very tricky tonal balance yeah. but i'm i don't think there's a director alive who could have done better wow. with that material yeah, I, I strongly recommend it. Yeah, I mean, I don't, I don't know how far he goes in Snowpiercer, but one of the things I really enjoyed, like in the host, was um, his ability to mix up tones. Oh yeah, yeah, that's yeah. that's that's key. That that happened. I'd say Snowpiercer is maybe a bit grimmer, yeah. but there's still definitely moments of unexpectedness, yeah. and also uh, you're with the um, passengers as they go yeah. the whole time, so you only know their perspective. Oh, so yeah. as you go from the horrible, you know, overcrowded barracks at yeah. the back, and, you know, the first hour is sort of this grey kind of mm. trudge through this, and then suddenly as you move forward, you kind of, your eyes open with them, mm. uh, and it's a very clever move of keeping that really oh, yeah. locked perspective which he may have inherited from the graphic novel yeah, I don't yeah. know but who's ever responsible for it good job you cool uh, and so uh, what's your uh, well that, bigger... I guess yeah I, I don't know how big it is actually um, but it's it's certainly I, yeah. big relative insofar as that Samantha not Samantha Morton Samantha Morton was supposed to star in Jonathan Glazer's latest film Under the Skin yeah and in Life Imitating Her uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah she was replaced by Scarlett so Johansson Under the Skin this is, is ridiculous <laughs> yeah I Samantha Morton probably is not the biggest Scarlett Johansson fan in the world at this point. But 
I really don't want to talk too much about it without spoiling the premise, but yeah. suffice it to say that Under the Skin was a novel by Michelle Faber. Jonathan Glazer, in addition to doing some uh, really uh, influential music videos, mm. famous for Sexy Beast and then uh, Birth, which I think is one of the most sorely underrated films. Yeah, I uh, missed Birth. I really decade. wanted to see it. But I'll, Sexy I'll, Beast didn't really strike too many chords with me. Yeah. Sexy Beast was like, okay, debut. Yeah. Birth was like... Okay, I did the gangster film because I had to. Now yeah. I'm going to do what I want to. Yeah. And it is so daring and virtuoso. Yeah. And uh, Under the Skin is, again, from all accounts, Jonathan Glazer going for broke in the countryside with the series of uh, Scarlett Johansson's character, whose provenance I won't explain yeah. anything about, um, interacting with a series of people. I think she's hitchhiking. And often, I think even working with non-professional actors at yeah. points, you didn't know what was going on. So there's this mix of, well, I'll, I'll say that it's there's a science fiction element yeah. that genre fans should be interested in that. Mm. But also this um, unexpected naturalism. Mm. And by all counts... In the Scottish you, countryside, isn't it? Yeah. I, I think it's Scottish, yeah, yeah. yeah. And cinephiles have just been going nuts for this film. Mm. Like, it's definitely resonated across the cinephile community is one of the key films of the year yeah. that whether you're a genre I'm sure fan both of us probably you're... hit the festival up about hey yeah, yeah <laughs> it, it has been one of my most anticipated yeah. films of the year and it's been great I mean there's a few films that you know I would have loved to have seen like The uh, Strange Color of Your Body's Tears or um, <laughs> well, that's the new one from the Ameriguys <laughs> the Ameri team <laughs> <laughs> no, I, but I, I mean I guess it's a thankless job to try to get everything Think, that yeah, every film yeah. person would want to see into a single program. And they've done a good job of making sure I'm going to be busy every single day yeah, yeah, and regretting stuff and that. And so I have no uh, regrets. And there's so many of my key titles for the year I'm going to get to see in the next... Uh, well, I guess the festival starts up here July 17th, 17th and then a week 17th, later yeah. in Wellington. Yeah. I might sneak up for a quick sneak peek up here. Oh, so yeah. yeah. We'll <laughs> nice. see. Yeah. And then, yeah, I mean, I guess the other thing I was going to call attention to is just there's some, in particular, two retrospective yeah. screenings, yeah. which I've seen before, and I'm weighing up whether to see again just because there's so much on. Yeah, but in a, principle, I'd love to see them. Um, it's the Cocteau. Yeah, Jean Cocteau's Beauty and the Beast, Beast. which is uh, his mid-40s adaptation of mm. it, and which is a bit uh, more risque than the... Uh, the lovable Disney 90s yeah. uh, musical, which I've actually seen quite a few times and like as well. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, I'm a big Cocteau fan, and I mm. think he's somebody that should be really inspirational to lo-fi filmmakers. Uh, films like Orpheus, where he just uses so many camera tricks that are magical, but are just really basic of, mm. you know, um, having somebody walk into a mirror by you know having it be a bathtub that's sideways and oh, yeah, things yeah. like that. And um, just, yeah, trying to get them to tread the right way as they go down and so beauty and the beast is him in that mode mm. telling that classic story and then uh the lady of shanghai uh orson welles film mm. which has some gorgeous scenes in it i saw a film print of it ages and ages oh, ago cool. and and there's a uh famous uh finale in a, a hall of mirrors mm. uh that is super satisfying and it's just you, you know it's in the, it's in the touch of evil i uh, sort of third manny kind of i mean mm. i guess like if those i'm thinking of the third man even though it's yeah. directed by carol reed because it played this year autumn events autumn events that's right and again if if you thrive on those blasts from the past of just confident assured 50s noir style filmmaking the way Lady of Shanghai or Lady from Shanghai? Lady of Shanghai. Lady of Shanghai. We'll go with that. Yeah. Yeah. So, again, there's dozens more, um, and it'll be interesting to see this year how we handle reporting, since yeah. we may not be able to uh, 
join forces during it, but yeah, we may we, look into... We might look to do some solo. Yeah, solos or potentially um, Tim will be up for yeah. bits, and um, we can look at Skype, and um, w- there's also some talk about getting some of the boys in Wellington yeah. in front of the mic now and again. Oh, excellent. So regardless of whether you hear much from us, though, you should, shouldn't be taking too much time listening because you're going to be living at the, yeah, um, yeah, the <laughs> theaters for a couple of weeks anyway. It's an exciting time, and there's uh, going to be some, some great coverage, and uh, Lumiere will be uh, on the ground as well, covering films as we see them, so it's going to be pretty cool and uh, intense. <laughs> yeah, I'll see you at the movies. Yeah, I'll see you. Is that, that we've stolen that line from somebody, haven't we? <laughs> <I don't know. laughs> Cheers. Cheers.